prodigal son story. You probably have heard it. If you haven't, you're going to love it. Luke 15. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the elder son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The elder brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. God always blesses the reading of God's holy word. Come Holy Spirit, lead us again. I pray now the words of mine would not be my words, but they would be your words. That the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pure and acceptable in your sight, O Lord. Come Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. I know how many of you have seen the movie um, Butch Cassidy. 
and the Sundance Kid. I've never, you know, I've never actually seen the movie. I've seen scenes from it. We all know um, the iconic scene, perhaps you know it. You, it's really cool when they're fleeing the, the uh, Butch and Sundance Kid are fleeing the posse that's chasing them and they have to try to jump off a cliff and it's a high cliff over water and um, the one character says to the other, I can't swim and the other one says to him well the fall will kill you, you know, remember that scene? That's the iconic scene, but there was a scene before that, that came to me as I was thinking about all this and it's the scene where they're looking in the distance and they can see this, this posse Pursuing them. And this this posse is just relentless. And they're being chased down. Hunted down. On the horizon, they can see it coming. I wonder what you experience like that. I wonder what you feel is coming for you. All kinds of things. Aging bodies. Or... That work assignment, <laughs> the my neighbor Rohan is responsible for the certification of the triple seven X. A lot of responsibility bearing down on him. Government regulations, taxes came and went, but they'll come around again. Bills to pay, hard diagnoses, scary futures, uncertainty, waiting. For whether or not you got in or didn't get in. What's chasing you? What's on your tail? Well, hold that thought. Let's talk about this kid. The grab and go kid. This kid grabs his inheritance from his dad and takes off. Scholar Joel Green points out. This is very unusual. It basically means that this boy, probably a teenager, rejects his family to go party. Talk about a disappointment. (laughs) If there was ever anyone in history who had a reason to give up on his kid, it was this father. The boy goes off to a foreign land. Likely a non-Jewish world since pigs are mentioned. And the pigs were a no-no for the Jews, you may recall. The boy blows all his money in wild child living. Living it up, so to speak. Then there's a famine, sort of like a big old recession. Then he loses everything. No one gives him anything. He gets hungry enough and dire enough to want to eat pig food. And in this dark, dire place, this boy comes to his senses, has an aha moment, and he decides to go home to dad. Now, what's really wild about all this is that this kid thinks he can go home at all. As Dr. Green points out, the boy assumes, he assumes that his father will look on him with at least a modicum of favor and receive him like a sort of minor employee. What a wild assumption. But you want to know what's even more wild? He's right. 
The boy is right. His father does receive him. And rather than overestimating his father's welcome, it turns out this young man actually underestimates his father's welcome. Because apparently, not only did the father leave this boy's picture on the wall, so to speak, right? But evidently, the father was keeping an eye out for the son. This verse 20, I think, is maybe the most amazing verse of all of, in all of Scripture. There's a lot of good verses in Scripture. It's all worth your time. But there are certain verses that are sort of paradigmatic or programmatic. They're, they're the heart of the plot of this whole Bible story. I think this is one of them in a verse. Verse 20. It's worth meditating on for years, probably. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Repeat that after me. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Breathe that in and breathe that out. I love that scene from Star Wars, A New Hope, the first film. This is a movie I've actually, I actually have seen <laughs> many times. I love this movie. It's one of my favorite movies. Easily in my top five of all time. And it is sort of like a Western in a way, a sci-fi Western. Everybody took a chance on it. Just before, you know, no one knew it was going to be Star Wars before it was Star Wars. You know what I mean? And maybe you recall, if you've seen it, how it begins, Luke and his aunt and uncle, they get these two droids. And then one of the droids, R2-D2, who I have in my office, a model of him, not the real one, he runs off and takes off in the desert. And Luke finds out and he goes and grabs his binoculars. Actually, they're called macro binoculars in the Star Wars idiom. He runs out into the evening. He peers through them on the horizon. You can remember the scene in the movie. He's scanning for the wayward droid. And these macro binoculars allowed Luke to see way into the distance and gives him other information too, like distance and altitude. To live in Christ, to have a relationship with Jesus, to abide in him, is like being, it's like being given permanent spiritual macro binoculars. Call them Christo binoculars. St. Paul says in his letter to the Corinthian church, we have the mind of Christ. We can push this pretty far, I think, and say that through Christ, our entire vision processing center in our brains is reformed, remade with his eyes. When people leave us physically, when they leave us emotionally, when they go AWOL spiritually, well, when we're in Christ, we see different. We see better. We see more fully what's going on. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, we're enabled, equipped, 
empowered to move out on that vision. Call it spiritual night vision. That lets us peer into spiritual darkness. Clear as day. I texted an old friend of mine recently. Who now lives in another part of the country. We were really close at one point, And he's a brother in Christ. We were in a prayer group together. And now my friend has drifted. My old friend went through a life crisis. And even though he outwardly appears to be very successful. I actually don't think he's in the best place in his life. And I think there's been a. There's been a questionable moral pattern in his life. And years back, I questioned him on it. He didn't respond very favorably to that. He kind of dug in. And when I kept reaching out to him and sharing love, he'd respond, love and truth. You know, he responded in a mixed way. And it was tempting for me. It was easy for me. And I think sometimes I did this in my heart to go, I'm out of here. I could permanently oblige him and sort of nuke the friendship and be all like, that's it, man, I'm gone. But the God who is the father in this story won't let me do that. (laughs) He keeps reminding me to keep looking. So I reached out to him the other day and I, I, as I lamented to Jill, he did not reach back. But I'm sure I'll do that again and again. And sometimes we do have to let go. But doesn't mean we have to let go in our hearts too, right? We can pray into the, those who are MIA as well with, a, with, a, with the heart of the father looking for the prodigal son. And I say that I'll do that again and again, not because I'm faithful, but because I know the God who lives in me. I know this God. I know you. <laughs> I know what you're like. Right? You're relentless. When we receive the Father's heart through the Son in the Spirit, when we know this sort of love, the kind of love that runs toward us in our sins, that kind of love, well, when that gets inside of us, we go running too, not away, but toward In Christ, we see the Father's heart running toward humanity. You probably can surmise that's what the story is about. But it comes from a series of, after a series in Luke, of these lost and found stories. This is God's speciality, as they say in Mother England. Through his Holy Spirit, this very morning, this God is here pursuing us. He takes initiative, as we've talked about before, before we can even make the first move. This is something that the Reformed Presbyterian tradition really grabs hold of, I think, wisely. We're here, not because of us, but because God pursued us first. Notice in this story how the father lavishes love on the returning son before the son can even get his speech out. And it's not even totally clear, right, in the story. I was thinking about this as we were reading. It's not really totally clear that the son is fully repentant in the early part of the story. It says he comes to his senses and then he makes a speech, ready to give a speech, you know. And you don't really know what's in his heart. And really what happens first is that the father comes and embraces him first and then is when we get the full repentance in the story. If you read it carefully, 
The full repentance, I have sinned, comes after the kid is embraced, not before. He's coming to his senses, but it's not clear. He's, he's just not being pragmatic. Oh, I need, I'm going to go. I'm going to say this to my dad. I'll get food. I mean, it could, you could read it that way. It's a little, it's a little, uh, uh, you know, open-ended. Sometimes the Bible's like that. But we get repentance for sure after the boy is embraced. And that's going to be our call too. Sometimes we embrace people first and they repent after. That's church. The father not only embraces him and then the boy repents, then he throws a party. You and I are loved by the father this way. I've read that fatherhood in Roman times was associated with authoritarianism, right? Being in charge. Fatherhood at this time in history was connected with having legal control. How different is this picture of the father as Jesus describes it in the story, as our heavenly father, as expressed in the story, is. Yeah, he's in control, he's in charge, but he's so much more. Our heavenly father, known in Jesus Christ and experienced in the Holy Spirit, is loving, compassionate, so full of grace, willing to humiliate himself. The father's run toward the son would have meant he was almost kind of... With what he was wearing, he would have been almost exposed or vulnerable by that. Well, this is what God does in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, God makes himself vulnerable, humiliating himself, even unto death on the cross. Why? To hug us before we can even repent. To save us. To bring us to his heavenly party. What a gospel. What a gospel. I shared recently in a sermon about how someone, an adult, not in this church, but someone elsewhere, had yelled at our son Jack, and barked at our son Jack, and it upset Jack. And as I said before, we met and talked about this as a family, and, and soon after we talked about it, I can tell you that in my heart, I began to shift after we talked and prayed from, I told you about this, from having a sort of that fatherly fury of protectiveness toward your son to a different kind of fatherly posture. God ministered to my protective father's heart with his heavenly father's heart. And my heart began to change toward this person who had yelled at her son. I'm not saying it was all perfect and I was ready to do backflips of love for this person, but but something shifted in me, right? Well, a week or so later, I saw this person just yesterday. Twice. And we talked. Twice. And it was remarkable. And this person brought up what had happened the second time. And we talked about it. And it was a healing conversation. And I get the sense in this guy that, you know what? It's almost as if there is something that this guy is responding to in me 
that's not actually me at all. Our ministry is to be stand-ins for the Father and the story. To be windows through which the Father can hear and see. Windows through which people, people like this guy, can hear and see and experience our Heavenly Father's call. Our ministry is to be our Heavenly Father's run toward humanity in Jesus Christ. As a church, we are collectively the embodiment of God's sprint toward a lost humanity in the gospel. Are you ready to run? Back to the original point, as people and you and all of us experience things bearing down on us, and we all have something doing that, many, many things, many of us have many things, There's more to the story of life. That in our gospel, there is something else pursuing all of us. Someone else. And that someone else defines us and who we are more than anything else that could ever possibly pursue us. And that doesn't mean those aren't real things. Um, death, taxes, struggles, they'll all come for us at some point, And they're real stuff. We don't, we don't pretend they're not, but they're just not all. They're not ever anymore because there's something else on the horizon. There's someone else on the horizon and it's the father revealed in the son, experienced in the Holy Spirit, pursuing you and me. And we're either living life in two places and maybe sometimes both at once. We're either Seeing that and going, oh, and we're starting to run toward him as we see him running toward us. Or, and or, we're running with him toward a humanity to say, hey, this and this and this and this you think is pursuing you, it's over here and here. Okay, that's real, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you what matters most. And we pursue them and we embrace. We can't control how people respond to the embrace or the pursuit We can only join God in it. He is faithful. Our God is a God who sees people and us while we were still a long way off. So let's get running. Are you ready to run? Are you ready to be embraced? Are you ready for both? What a life. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.